one way to solve differences in this building is to put people around a table and have them talk. <laughs> so I don't know if we are those people, but have, we have, have we been, solved anything? We have been sitting around a table talking. I don't know if 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 we've done the everything else that we would need to do to solve any of these issues, but <laughs> you get a lot of people sitting around tables and talking in here. The hour to which the podcast adjourned having arrived, the podcast is now in order. Let's gavel in for this week's State House Takeout with the reporters on top of Beacon Hill at the State House News Service. Here's Sam Doran. I thought Fridays in December were supposed to be kind of quiet up here at the State House, but here we are with the House and Senate in session and uh, a building full of climate protesters this week. But uh, anyway, to talk about. All the events, because we had a lot of news this week, actually, uh, are Colin Young, Chris Lasinski, and Matt Murphy of the Statehouse News Service. Hi, folks. Hi, Sam. Howdy. Hey, Sam. Hey. So uh, on, our, on our takeout plate this week, we've got the start of the process of formulating next fiscal year's budget. We're already to that point in the calendar. We've got uh, some senators deferring their overseas trip to Israel as... Talks continue on the stalled supplemental budget negotiations, and uh, we've got some additional drama from the legislature, uh, from the Senate at least, with uh, talks continuing on just setting a special election date to fill a vacant Senate seat down on the South Shore. Let's start with this consensus revenue hearing from earlier this week. And Colin, I think um, uh, you've covered these before, right? And so mm-hmm. is uh, Katie, and, and you two teamed up once again for news service coverage this year as we dig into fiscal. 2021. Um, I think it was Catherine Hornby from... Um, She's the state budget director with the state Executive budget Office director? of Administration and Finance. You might have heard of it, Sam. Yeah. Um, and uh, we've used her quote on here before, but she said a few weeks ago that we're living in three fiscal years at once because we're still trying to wrap up 19, we're living in 20, and we're peering into the future to 21. Um, Colin, uh, just in sum, what's, what's the forecast? The uh, overarching theme of Wednesday's hearing of the Joint Ways and Means Committee uh, was to prepare for slower growth in uh, fiscal year 21. Uh, The economists, the outside think tanks, uh, and the uh, experts from the Department of Revenue uh, all shared uh, shared that same message uh, to the budget writers uh, that the flush times that this year produced a $1.1 billion surplus uh, probably won't be quite as flush as we go into the future. Uh, they certainly stopped short of predicting that uh, we'd enter a recession in the next year or, or year and a half, uh, but said that things are going to start to slow down. Yeah, so our editor, Mike Norton, pointed out that coverage from last year was kind of similar, and that I'm, I'm looking at the headline right here from last year's consensus revenue story. Economists warn state budget writers of slowdown on the horizon. So was the message this year a little bit closer to hand? I mean, was, was there a, you know what I'm getting at? Well, I think it's, a, it's usually safe to predict that things are going to slow down. I mean, the, sure. the, the, the real good times can't last forever. Um, but in fact, the um, growth in state tax revenue has, in fact, slowed over the last couple of years, slowed from some pretty uh, extraordinary highs. Uh, in fiscal 18, state uh, tax collections grew 8.5%. Uh, fiscal 19, 
which we just wrapped up or in the legislature is, is, is still working to wrap that up. Uh, but the tax collections are done and uh, tax collections grew in 196.9 percent uh, and so far into fiscal 20. Uh, um, tax collections are, are um, running 2.5 percent ahead of benchmarks, which would represent 5.4 percent growth. Uh, over the previous year. So there is still more money coming in, but not quite as much more as, as previous years. Sure. And of the kinds of projections that you hear uh, every December at this annual hearing, um, just how accurate do they end up being? <laughs> um, well, the last few years, not not very. And a lot of that is, has had to do with the changes in the federal tax code, uh, which produced some uh, maybe unexpected uh, results, at least uh, that the state hadn't expected uh, when it did its own forecast. Um, so there have been a couple years recently where the uh, the results haven't been uh, dead on to the expectations, but they have been in the um, sort of positive direction. Like I said, we just ended up with a $1.1 billion surplus uh, because the state took in more tax revenue than it had forecast it would. So better to err on the side of a smaller... Right. If you uh, project you're going to have less tax money coming in and you end up with more, that's a, a better problem to have than, than the other way around, for uh, sure. If it is a problem at all, yeah. Uh, well, it's, it's a problem for some of, uh, some of these House and Senate negotiators who are trying to spend the surplus right now, I guess, uh, if we right. want to transition into that. Uh, we've seen some sessions uh, held open all day with little or anything going on um, this week. And we're in the middle of another one of those situations right now on Friday afternoon, which it's, it's pretty rare for an informal session this time of year to be just held open on, on Friday afternoon. Um, so it is the SUP. They're waiting for the SUP, right? They are waiting I, for the SUP. That is why we're here mostly uh, on a Friday watching the House and the Senate. The Senate also has another piece of business that they're struggling to get through, and I think we're going to talk about that a little later, but uh, they're uh, you know, fighting over uh, when to set a special election to fill uh, a vacant or open, uh, currently open Senate seat on the South Shore in Cape Cod. But uh, yeah, the SUP is the big piece. Uh, yet another deadline looming next Wednesday when uh, Comptroller Andrew Mailer says he's going to close the books on fiscal 19 with or without the legislature. And so we're uh, trying to see if they can get a deal done. Yeah, because uh, as we reported this week, there were, well, the top Senate Democrats were set to join a group of other lawmakers in going over to Israel uh, starting yesterday. And uh, they had to back out of those plans just because this hasn't been wrapped up. And we're looking ahead to that, what is it, next Wednesday, December 11th deadline, uh, when Andrew Mailer says he's just going to sweep all this money into the rainy day fund. Right. Yeah. We learned this week that uh, Senate President Karen Spilko was planning to lead a delegation of 10 senators on a what has become somewhat of an annual December junket. It's organized by the Jewish Community Relations Council every year, and uh, they take a group of legislators over to Israel. Uh, this year, it was going to be exclusively senators, and uh, Karen Spilka, along with Senate Ways and Means Chairman Mike Rodrigues and the vice chair of that committee, all of whom are negotiating uh, this billion-dollar surplus spending bill, were uh, supposed to be on that trip. They had to cancel. Well, I guess they didn't have to, but they chose to cancel uh, while some of their other colleagues 
uh, left on Thursday for Israel, and they canceled in hopes of getting this uh, this bill done before, uh, as you said, before Andrew Mailer takes action on his own. But, you know, we started this week with uh, Governor Charlie Baker sort of interjecting himself in a way we haven't seen up until this point and uh, uh, trying with a, a letter from ANF Secretary Mike Heffernan to uh, the legislative leaders to lay out what his administration sees as the quote-unquote truly critical items in this spending bill in an attempt to broker peace between the two branches. Well, yeah, he said he was trying to get a conversation going. Yeah, so I mean... And is the conversation going? I mean, they say it's going. You remember the speaker floated the idea uh, a week or so ago of uh, separating everything out and tabling all discussion except for... Uh, non-discretionary spending that uh, bills that the state just has to pay things like uh, uh, you know 116 million needed in, in mass health to pay for uh, medical services that have already been delivered to patients. Uh, the governor came back and he sort of laid out what he described as critical deficiencies, and it's not just those non-discretionary items, but he also put on this list things like 50 million dollars for the MBTA. Uh, this is for uh, accelerated work that's been ongoing this fall to try and repair parts of that system. Uh, we saw this week that it's probably desperately needed because the orange line kept breaking down in the middle of the snowstorm. But he had a, a little bit of a more extensive list, but it was about half the spending that he initially proposed. So we're looking at about $346 million in the governor's proposal as opposed to seven to eight uh, million, hundred million uh, in the House and Senate proposals, and um, this was, uh, you know, this was offered by the governor as a way to maybe uh, have a truce between the branches. But so far, it hasn't led to one. Hmm. And as we always are told, it's in conference. Can't talk about it. It's in conference. I can't comment. But do we have any idea? We do. It's. Yeah, I mean, we it's, do. It's, it's the decoupling language? Yeah, it's it's this corporate tax break that's really jamming this up if we're to believe everything that everybody is saying on the side and in quiet whispers. This is about a corporate tax break that would allow companies to continue deducting 100% of the interest on uh, borrowed money that they use for capital investments into their company. And uh, proponents say this is fosters growth and job creation. Critics see it as a corporate tax break. But uh, the state taking action has sort of uh, been precipitated by the federal tax law. Uh, that's why there's a change uh, afoot. And the, the House wants to uh, let corporations continue to deduct this. The Senate doesn't want it to happen. So what the comptroller is is proposing to do here, um, it's it's kind of an unprecedented situation, right? Um, is is he on firm ground to to do something like this, to kind of wrest control of of this surplus money away from the legislature? Well, he says he he actually had the has had the authority to do this since uh, October thirty first. Uh, yeah, October 31st, excuse me. That's the uh, deadline that the legislature set for him to file this um, uh, annual financial report. So he, uh, when I spoke with uh, Comptroller Mailer last week, he told me um, that really he thinks he, this authority for him sort of kicked in uh, as soon as that deadline passed because this is something the legislature has mandated that he do by that October 31st date. He chose not to do it uh, by October 31st thinking that the legislature would be able to come to a resolution itself so that lawmakers can decide how to spend this surplus money. 
but he said it's it's just come to the point where you know he's got to do what he has to do to uh, meet his uh, his obligations, uh, and that uh, 3 p.m. on December 11th is his uh, absolute deadline. I think it's also important to remember he's not actually proposing to spend money, which would probably be overstepping his bounds. He can't pay off those deficient uh, accounts. He can't pay the plowing bills that the state racked up last winter that still haven't been paid or or the mass health bills, uh, you know, or any of the other uh, deficient items. What he is doing is just moving all that money into reserves. And it's sort of a go ahead and stop me if you don't like it. He's he's basically begged legislative leaders to tell him when they would have a deal done. He Even in his letters, he's been like, he said, I've not heard from the Speaker or the Senate President. If you would tell me a date and a time that you will get me a bill, then I won't do this. But they haven't done it, and they haven't objected to his uh, what essentially amounts to threats to do this, and um, so you know, if if no one's going to stop him, he's going to he's going to go ahead and do what he needs to do, and then it's always the legislature's prerogative to pull that money back out of reserves and spend it however they want. You mentioned snow removal. Um, we're already heading into snow season this year. If I'm if I'm a plow driver who didn't get paid from last year, uh, what are my options after the 11th if there's no sup deal? Yeah, I mean, I, I, some, I, I don't know. I, I think we're in somewhat uncharted territory. But, I, you know, those bills, some of these things have to get paid, right? There's no, there's no way that these things aren't going to get paid. They're going to sure. have to come up with the money, and maybe it's next year in a different supplemental bill with some of the excess 2020 money. I mean, eventually this money will go out and people will be paid. But uh, this is really just a, a bad look for a bunch of House and Senate Democrats can't can't get it together, and, and the Republican governor here trying to play peacemaker. We should also note the same House and Senate Democrats who were, what, the last state in the nation, or the last legislature oh, in the nation to send that. an annual spending bill to the governor. Yeah. So this is continuing that trend. You know, Matt mentioned also that uh, the legislature has the prerogative to, to come back in and, and pull money out of the stabilization fund to pay up those deficient accounts and spend the surplus money on the things that they've all now gone on record saying they want to spend that money on. But doing that would would um, probably not look that great uh, to the, the credit rating agencies, which two years ago whacked the state and downgraded uh, the bond rating for uh, spending down the reserves while the economy was still growing. In this situation, it would be a little bit uh, different because it's not like the state is tapping reserves because it doesn't have money anywhere else. But it would still be tapping its reserves because it didn't um, spend that money when it had the chance to, the and, legislature. And did that come up at the consensus revenue hearing? I know there was some talk about whether or not we would have an upgrade in our future. Not in not in that way, not as it yeah. relates to this, this SUP, but... Um, some of the lawmakers were interested to know, you know, hey, we've rebuilt that rainy day fund uh, from the time when we were downgraded. Might we see an upgrade in the future? And Treasurer Deb Goldberg said, eh, don't bet on it. Yeah. Not not coming anytime soon. Not so fast. Interestingly, though, I think the rating agencies and, and historically right, 10 percent of a, a state budget in your reserve account has sort of been the gold standard that no state really even approaches. And in the governor's letter, uh, he talked about uh, 
if if they followed his blueprint, the state rainy day fund would climb up to about three and a half billion. If they just let Andrew Mailer go ahead and do what he's going to do, that'll push closer to four billion. We might actually be close to that sort of four billion dollar, ten percent of overall uh, annual budgeting uh, that the the rating agencies would look at quite favorably. But doing that would also mean that then all of these spending priorities that the legislature has gone on record supporting, I mean, there's there's um, uh, security money for uh, religious nonprofits. There's Which the, is probably of interest to the group that was going to be bringing those senators over to Israel. Yep, yeah. definitely. Um, there's uh, disaster aid for Cape Cod, uh, which was hit by a tornado over right. the summer. Um, there's sh- shark research-related uh, <laughs> money uh, in this up. So it would... Right. On, on one hand, the Cape Cod uh, Times story from the mm-hmm. other day. Yeah. On one hand, the, the large deposit to the stabilization fund would, like Matt mentioned, look good. On one hand, to the rating agencies, it would mean lawmakers would have to go back to their districts and say, uh, we weren't able to get that money for X, Y, or Z priority. Sure. Yeah. But that's a good point. It affects a lot of individual constituencies as well. I'm glad you brought up, Sam, that Cape Cod Times story, because if this hasn't come out through this conversation, I mean, really, this whole thing (laughs) is just a giant mess. And uh, that story uh, focused a a bit on a lot of the money in this SUP that would be specific to Cape Cod, including uh, some clean water uh, remediation funds, the shark money, the tornado disaster money. And at the end of that story, there was a quote from uh, Rep. Sarah, Sarah Peak, yeah, who's a member of DeLeo's leadership team. And I, I don't have it right in front of me, but the, the gist of it was, I think we're going to be able to pull a rabbit out of the hat and get this done. And it really jumped out at me because this is, this is basically the bare minimum that the legislature is supposed to do, take in uh, tax money and spend it on behalf of the people. And the fact that this is being equated to some sort of magic trick that they need to uh, pull out of their sleeve, it's really quite uh, uh, astounding. And it's never been an issue like this in our collective memories in in this room, right? Not that I can remember. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So the one other thing, and and mentioned this up at the top, Chris, you've been following a lot of this the last couple of weeks. Speaking but, uh, of not agreeing. Speaking of not agreeing. Yeah, this is kind of the theme. Um, over on the uh, east end of the building there, over in the Senate wing. Uh, and here's something else that I had never seen. I, I don't know if anyone else had ever seen this happen. Um, an objection from the floor to hold up um, the order to set a special election date. Just another kind of routine thing that usually flies by in the blink of an eye on a, on a chamber floor. Uh, but what's happening here? We even had the governor, who usually um, stays out of this granular party stuff in his, in his media reveals, uh, he even had something to say. The governor had something to say. The secretary of state had something to say. The chairman of the Massachusetts Republican Party had something to say. (laughs) This is a a fight that emerged within the Senate and has since spilled out uh, well outside the Senate chamber walls. Um, As you had said, this is a pretty routine order. Uh, Senator DiMacito resigned effective last Saturday, so six days ago. He knew a month earlier he was planning to resign. It officially took effect uh, toward the end of November. 
And to fill his seat, uh, the Senate president has 20 days to choose when the special election will be. She wanted to put the general election for that Senate seat on March 3rd, the same day as the presidential primary. And that has run into all sorts of opposition from Republicans who say that doing that would see such high Democratic turnout in such a crowded presidential primary that that would flip this very purple district that had been held by a Republican for the past five years back to the Democrats' hands. Um, so basically the way that things work around here in these informals is the minority leader objected and that basically froze this debate in amber until huh. they either reach an agreement behind closed doors or until President Spilka calls enough Democrats in to have a quorum and push this through with a recorded vote, which it sounds like she's not interested in doing right now. Why not? It would be a pretty unprecedented step. I mean – you guys have more institutional memory than I do, but if it's unprecedented for us to have an objection to an election order, it would <laughs> certainly be unprecedented to have members called in during informal session during the holiday season to force through a vote that's objected for a special election. So the way uh, the way the governor framed this was kind of artful because he didn't just come out and say that you don't want to have this on uh, presidential primary day when there's going to be huge numbers of Democrats at the polls. And I mean, I'm sure that's on most Republicans' minds as they think about the setting of this state. But um, he had a, a sort of different way of framing this, right? Right. And and it's good to note that that's also what Senate Republicans have said. The sure. real criticism has come from outside the legislature. Their suggestion instead is, yes, it certainly makes sense to line up one of the two elections for Senate with the presidential primary. Cities and towns in the Plymouth and Barnstable district will already have all of their election equipment out. They'll already be, dis be distributing ballots. So why not save on the costs of setting that up for a third time? Uh, what they think they should do instead is have the Senate primary on presidential primary date, two primaries, same day, same type of race, and then come back March 31st for the general election, which obviously would be lower turnout, but uh, would then have the primaries line up at the same time. And some harsh words from the Secretary of State, for one thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, what did he say this was tantamount to? Uh, tantamount to voter suppression from Republicans, from the Democratic Secretary of State, we should note, um, who said that kind of walked me through the complexities of this. In his view, he supports the, the Democratic plan to do the Senate general on the presidential primary because he says if you're an independent voter, you would have to choose whether you want a Republican or Democratic presidential ballot and then a Republican or Democratic Senate primary ballot. But if it was the general, you could vote in the Senate general and take whichever presidential primary ballot you would prefer. So we're, this has been going on every single day this week, all five days. This has been on the table in the background of yeah. the Senate. No agreement's been reached yet. And it was kind of unclear to us at first. But it, according to, to Galvin, the secretary of state, there isn't really a ticking clock behind this. Republicans couldn't exactly run out the clock on when the presidential primary would still be a viable date for the Senate general election. Mm -hmm. He told me there's no magic number, no date by which if you stall this long enough, Spilka's plan is completely off the table. So oh, okay. if that might have been the strategy uh, from Republicans, which we don't know for sure, but it sure. could make sense. Uh, you know, the Democratic Secretary of State is kind of putting the brakes on that and saying he, he won't rule out March 3rd, even if this doesn't get resolved until January. Because, hey, on the 1st of January, yeah, the legislature comes back in formal sessions and all the members are back up here. Right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Exactly. 
That would be a much, I think we should point out, though, if we believe Galvin when he says that, that would be a much shorter window than his office has even admitted. They've told us that uh, to hold a special election, you usually have 12 to 14 weeks uh, from the, the date it's set until the date voters go to the polls and choose their next House member or senator. So if this had to be pushed to January and they did go ahead and schedule the general on March 3rd, that would be a lot shorter than uh, the 12 to 14 weeks. Now, people are already running. There are multiple Democrats running. There's at least uh, one uh, Republican who, um, interestingly, you know, Jay McMahon, Mm -hmm. the uh, one-time GOP nominee for attorney general, lost to Maura Healey, and who apparently the mass GOP is ready to throw in the towel on if this is on March 3rd, if you look at Jim Lyons and even the Mass Fiscal Alliance putting out statements saying that if they piggyback off the presidential, this is all but a foregone conclusion that the seat will flip back to Democrats, which, mm-hmm. uh, you know, an interesting messaging tactic there. But, um, you know, I, I guess we'll see. Maybe they've uh, resolved it while we've been down here. <laughs> you never know, I guess, uh, as we tape this around 2.30 on, on Friday afternoon. and I heard this week that, that um, one way to solve differences in this building is to put people around a table and have them talk. <laughs> so I don't know if we are those people, but have, we, have have we, been, solved anything? we have been sitting around a table talking. I don't know if, if, if we've done the, everything else that we would need to do to solve any of these issues. but <laughs> You get a lot of people sitting around tables and talking in here. But, uh, well, uh, Senate Minority Leader Bruce Tarr uh, sort of suggested that that's not happening uh, on the supplemental budget. When we spoke with him on Monday, mm. he said, you know, I've never known a problem that um, that can't be solved by putting people in the same room and, and making them talk through their differences. Um, so he, uh, he had said that the biggest problem with the SUP is uh, a lack of communication right. and then suggested that uh, maybe this uh, six-member conference committee isn't actually, uh, you know, literally seeing eye to eye and, and, and uh, going over their differences together. As much as we've been told when, again, the stock phrase that keeps getting used is we're talking, we're in conversations, we're sharing info back and forth. Yeah, but those might not be actually face-to-face meetings. Could be staff members with an email for all, for all exactly. we know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, as we look ahead to next year, uh, 2020, and we... Uh, we've actually been planning a little calendar up in the newsroom of important dates to watch up here on Beacon Hill for 2020. Um, it's just interesting to note that a bunch of those are still in flux, especially around elections, right, with the primary date um, technically held up in these SUP talks, uh, the state primary date, that is, for uh, September. And uh, early voting, uh, this special election, so... Um, a, lo- a lot of things still yet to unfold as we uh, head toward the new year. All right. Well, we'll go back upstairs now and see what the legislature's uh, done or whether they're still in, in limbo up there. <laughs> uh, all right. Thanks, folks. Uh, have a great weekend. Thanks, Sam. Adios. Statehouse Takeout is a production of the Statehouse News Service. And for a daily fix of Statehouse headlines, visit masterlist.com. Masterlist with two S's. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.